God, love others. I want you guys to uh, take a moment. I'm going to step off the stage. I want you to watch this. This is my commandment, that you love one another as I have loved you. Greater love has no one than this, that someone lay down his life for his friends. Let's pray. Father, I thank you for your word. I thank you for your son, Jesus Christ. I thank you for this passage where you give us this commandment, to love as you have loved. God, I pray that today you would speak to our hearts about what it really means for us to follow you in love. God, I pray that you will open our minds, make us receptive to receive your word. God, not just that we be hearers of your word, but that we be doers of of your word also. And so God, I just give you all the praise and I give you all the glory for you alone are worthy. Anoint your word. God, let me not stand in the way of what it is that you want to say to us. We just pray and believe these things in the name of your son and our strong savior, Jesus Christ. Church together said. Amen. John fifteen twelve through 13 that we just read. This is my commandment that you love one another as I have loved you. Greater love has no one than this, that someone lay down his life for his friends. Galatians 5 and 14 says this, For the whole law is fulfilled in one word, and it's this phrase, You shall love your neighbor as yourself. I, I let Michelle watch this video here um, sometime earlier this week, right before she went to sleep, and she had to stay up later. 
after she watched the video. I told her, I said, every time I've watched it over about the last year or so, I've been waiting for for God to uh, put on my heart that it was time to preach a message that utilized this. Because we see this young girl preparing to make an unbelievable sacrifice. She believed that she was going to give her own life so that her brother might just have a chance to possibly survive. She leans over. She tells him goodbye because she thought that was it. But her love for him was so great that she was willing to go and to sit in that chair and she thought, I guess they were going to take it all. And said, how long until I die? I put out on Facebook this week, the title of this message was going to be, How Long Until I Die? John 15 is what we're, what we're talking about and thinking about today. The first thing that, that I want us to see is that when we look at this verse that Jesus, in speaking, shared, look at the very first statement. He says, this is my commandment. I wonder at times if we have chosen to ignore that Jesus is saying here that it's a commandment. He didn't say this was something to strive for. He didn't say, this would be a good thing if you would do this. He didn't say, you know, this is one of those optional things that the super Christians do. And so if you're just, you know, an average Christian or if you're just an entry-level Christian, you're, you're exempted from this. This is for those folks who are, you know, they're, they're sitting up on top of the mountain like a guru, you know, with their legs crossed and a robe on and long hair and a beard and, and they're, you know, um, doing something. I mean, I don't know sometimes what we, what we get in our heads that, you know, these quote-unquote super Christians are doing. I've never really met any super Christians. I've met people that God's doing super things in, you know, but, but I never really met somebody that I thought, ooh, they're a super Christian. Now, I've met some people that I thought, man, they are really striving hard to follow after Christ. Um, but then I realized that it's only through His power, it's only through His uh, giving them that, that ability, which is offered to all of us. So it's really not super Christians, it's just maybe that we're submitting to Him. Jesus says in this statement, it's not, it's not something where you walk into work and they've got a suggestion box. And Jesus went and filled out a thing and then slid it into your, your fortune cookie, which is not really even Chinese, by the way. They don't do that stuff. Most of those are actually made up around New York. But anyway, you know, slipped it in. You opened up your fortune cookie and it said, this is my commandment. And you went, wait a minute, let me flip it over and see what my lucky numbers are, right? No. You wouldn't do that. I'm glad nobody said right. I went fast before you could do that. He essentially said, do this, period. Now, the other thing that he says in this first statement, which is so powerful, is not only does he say, this is what I'm commanding you to do. So if you say that you're my disciple, you say that you're my follower, you say that you're someone who is doing what your, your teacher instructs you to do, now, how many of you? How many of you have kids? I don't care how old they are. All right. See, see, this is always kids are always great examples. I I like using kids for, for sermons. Caleb, you know, and and Alexis, they never did. You know, were super excited about that. But, but I try not to point to them in particular. 
How many of you have ever had to go to a parent-teacher conference? Come on, I, I'll raise my hand for my parents. I'll, I'll probably raise a leg, too. That's, that's happened. So people are like, man, now you going to call me out? Ashlyn's like, you're not going to burn her. Look. So you go to a parent-teacher conference, and, um, and you know, usually, what are some reasons why you go to a parent-teacher conference? Kids acting up, all right, that's one. Grades. Cheating on a test. <laughs> Bird's now speaking from, uh, he's speaking from personal experience, and I don't think it was his kids. <laughs> Let's just tell the truth. I think he was going, yeah, my mom had to go. Uh, skipping school, you know, all kind of different stuff. Um, probably if my parents, I was trying to think, you know, I, I think my parents probably had to go to a parent-teacher conference. I probably tried to block that out at some point. I would imagine, I can imagine knowing me and back then, um, but the reason that they would have had to go was because I was talking in class. You know, not that any of y'all would ever think that I would want to talk, you know, and not that Bird ever got in trouble for that either because uh, Wendy just went, <laughs> you know, and pointed at him. He had his head turned while he was talking during church. Um, <laughs> no. But... And one thing that my parents always had a tendency to say then, and it would be whether I got in trouble in Sunday school, it would be no matter what it was, I got in trouble some places. I'm just telling y'all. My dad, the thing, side note, this is not part of my notes. The the, side, the, the thing that always got me was that uh, with my dad being a pastor, was I, two things that would always happen if I got in trouble at church. If I got in trouble and it was early enough at church, then that's when I learned to dislike the Sunday school plant, as they would call it, you know, back in, in the day. Because we would go back to a Sunday school class, and Nathan would get introduced to, you know, the seed of knowledge would get introduced to the rod of correction. And, and then the thing that I always thought was, was I never could quite figure this out, was he was like, you know, when we were done, and I'm crying, you know, and I really didn't hurt, just, you know, kind of scared you a little bit. Um, and then he'd be like, now dry them tears up. Because we got to go out here to church. <laughs> like, really? But, but the worst one was if he would say, and, and I know you guys know, because <laughs> the worst one would be if he said, and I don't know where this came from, but he would say, you need to write it down in your little black book. I never had a little black book, but I don't know. But that's what he always said. He said, you need to write it down in your little black book. When we get home, you're getting a whipping. That's terrible for church. Because the whole rest of the church service, the singing, everything. All I'm thinking about is, Lord, let it go long. Let's have a long service today. God, move on people. Let there be an altar service. You know, let Dad be really tired. Maybe he'll be so thankful for what God has done that he will show mercy. Most of the time, what I would get told is, you need to just do what your teachers tell you. Because not, not that you've ever had any kids that argued with the teachers, right? You know, the smarter that kids thought they were, you know, or that maybe we were, but, but we would decide we knew better than a teacher. All right, let's just break it down. Not that your kids have ever argued with you, and you just said, just do what I told you, right? I always wonder whether, whether God kind of looks down at times and says, hey, my son said, this is my commandment, so just do what I told you. Just do it. Just do it. 
Nike got it right, man. We need to put swoosh on, on the church and say, just do it, and put that on front of our Bible. There was no personal interpretation of what Jesus meant because he followed that up. He said, this is my commandment that you love one another. Now, if we stop there, it would be great because we could say, ah, now I'm going to determine how it is that I'm going to love somebody else. Now, if that's kind of the mentality, then we would never really see something like that little girl. Because that little girl would go, now I love you, but I don't want to die. I'm sorry that you're going to experience this problem. I'm sorry that you're going to have this difficulty. But, but I'm not going to give up my ability to live in order for you to live. But Jesus didn't stop with saying you need to love one another. He said, I want you to love one another as I have loved you. And then he followed that up by saying, greater love has no one than this, that someone laid down his life for his friends. As I read that, I thought, Jesus is saying this, and it's before, it's before that he actually accomplishes what, so he, he says, I want you to love each other as I have loved you. I want you to understand that there's no greater love than that you lay down your life for your friends, and then he went out and died for us. He says, do what I do. And then he went and died on our behalf so that we could be set free. He qualified this statement that there was no greater love than giving up your own life for someone else. When, when Job, in the book of Job, when Job was, was uh, struggling with all the things that uh, all the tests and the trials that had come on him. Remember, we did a, kind of an illustrated sermon on this one Sunday in the other building. We, we went through the whole process of that um, Job's children are, are there eating in a house and, and a terrible storm comes and the house collapses. And then while he's being told about that, another servant comes up and tells him about all the flocks have been taken. And all this stuff happens. But there's an interesting conversation that took place before all of that when... When God and Satan were having this discussion about where Satan had been, and he says, I've been on earth, I've been roaming around, I'm looking to see, you know, what's there, really can't find anybody that I want to go after. And God says, Have you thought about Job? Satan makes a statement to God that is so true about us. Here's what it says Job chapter 2, verse 4. Satan answered the Lord and said, Skin for skin, all that a man has, he will give for his life. Think about it. If, if tomorrow you found out that you had some terminal condition that was going to end your life and, and you, you got the, the terrible information that, hey, you got three months to live. What is it that you have that you wouldn't be willing to give up? What, is there a car? Is there a car that you have that you wouldn't be willing? If you said, if I give up this car, then it'll reverse my condition. And some of you like your cars. I can tell by look. <laughs> you know, you're going, ah, I had to think about that one. But I'm not saying would you give it up for your spouse now. <laughs> oh. But how, would you give your house up if it meant that you're that your life would go from being you had three months to live to that you were going to have 30 years? 
Would you, would you give up your clothes? Would you give up your job? Would you give up your finances? Would you give up what you had in the bank? Is there anything that you wouldn't give in order to extend your life if you had the option? I, I think the answer for, for us is, is no. There, there's not a possession that I have that I would not be willing to surrender if it meant that I would be able to spend time then with my family that I would be able to maybe see a, a first grandchild come. I, I, I've listened here recently. I've heard people sharing stories. I think someone was sharing one Wednesday night about someone who had gotten the information that, that they had a short time period to live with treatment, a longer time period with treatment, um, you know, with and without, but yet that the statement was he just wanted to see, I think it was a son, maybe somebody, um, if they remember from Wednesday night, uh, it was to see a child graduate from high school. So I just want to be able to live that long. What would we not give? What would we not trade for our life? Satan had it right. He knew that this was the reality of us, is that we will give just about anything that we have in order to extend our life. So when we think about what just got said here, all that a man has he will give for his life, but then we put that together with Jesus saying that I'm giving you this commandment that you'll love each other the way that I've loved you, and greater love has no man than he lay down his life for his friends. If you will give anything for your life, and there's no greater love than that you give your life in order to protect a friend, then what is there in your life that if we're going to follow the command of Jesus Christ, that you would not be willing to give up for your friend. I, I want you to walk through that logic again. If we'll give anything, that, any possession that we have in order to sustain our life, and Jesus says, this is my commandment, that you love one another as I have loved you, and greater love has no one than this, and that you lay down your life for your friends, then what is there that you possess, what is there that you have, that God, through Jesus Christ, is not saying you need to be willing to surrender this in order to protect a friend. It's one of those quiet moments. We go, wait just a minute now. Now you're starting to talk about, do I have any possessions that should be more important to me than a brother or a sister in Christ? Because, by the way, he didn't say that you ought to do this for the world. Okay, understand this. He's speaking to believers, he's speaking and he says, look, you, you need to, in fact, if you take the word friend that's used here and, and you really study it out, it's not just the generic word of friend. It was more in line with the very close confidants who were, who were very uh, in that, that inner circle around the king. So if the king had this little inner circle of people that were there with him all the time and that were his closest confidants, that's the people he was talking about. He wasn't talking about acquaintances and all that because he, was, he wasn't being unrealistic. But he was saying that if you have this close group of people that are here around you, now here's the challenge, is we're supposed to be his disciples. We're supposed to be close around him. We're supposed to be drawn as closely to his side as what we can be. So he spoke of that to those who would then become his followers, his friends. Abraham, when you, when you read through the story uh, where Abraham and Sarah get told about that they're going to have a, have a child, and, and we know that Sarah laughs, and, 
and doesn't believe it. Remember, there were, there were some men that showed up, and Abraham saw them from a distance. And if you go back and read that story, what, what Abraham actually does is he first operates within the, the realm of being a servant. It says he runs, he sees the men, he runs, he, he says, look, why don't you come here, sit under this tree in the shade, we'll prepare something for you to eat. He goes and tells one servant, hey, go ahead and start making some stuff. He goes and gets a calf, brings it to another servant, says, prepare this, we need to make a meal for these guys. And then when they prepare the meal, it says he stands beside them as they sat and they ate, and he served them. Later on, I think somewhere around chapter 15, um, you actually see where God says about Abraham in speaking about the, the, uh, where he's going to, to call Sodom and Gomorrah to uh, end up being destroyed. God says this about Abraham. He says, should I hide anything that I'm about to do from my friend Abraham? And then we get this great conversation that takes place where Abraham says, well, what if, what if, God, what if there are this many people who are righteous in the city? And God says, okay. And Abraham kind of thinks about it and, and kind of goes, I don't think there's that many people that are righteous in the city. Well, God, what if there's only this many? Would you be willing to spare it then? God says, okay, I, I can do that. Well, wait, what if it's only this many? He gets down to like 10. What if there's 10? Remember, the city still got destroyed, right? But yet, he went from being one who served to being one whom God said, I'm not going to hide anything that's about to happen from my friend Abraham. No greater love has any man than that he lay down his life for his friends, those who come close to him, those who... I wonder, my, my, my family, particularly my daughter, has, has long uh, accused me of that I'm a loner. That's what she, she always accused me for a long time, that I was a loner. And, and probably some of you guys will identify with this. It's not so much that I'm a loner as I don't mind being alone. Okay? You know, there's some people they don't want to be around other people. You know, there's some folks that can't stand to be alone. If they're alone, they're gonna, they got to hunt somebody up. they got to find something to go do. And I'm okay being alone. I'll sit on the back porch and watch the birds and, and the dogs are wanting to come in, you know, and they're trying to get up, but they're short. They're basset hounds. They can't, you know, quite get up. They're on the stairs and they're trying to see and they know I'm in there. And so they're crying, you know, and they want to come in. And I'll wait until Caleb's about to feed them and then I stir them up a lot, you know, and then he's got to go out there with them. But I don't mind. But I had, a, as I started thinking through scriptures like this, and you go, wow, do you have friends that you have allowed to get close enough to you that you would be prepared to do what Jesus said, which is, no greater love has any man than this, than he laid down his life for his friends. Now, how did Jesus demonstrate this love of laying down his life? He did so willingly. It was willing. Remember, we talk often about that, that Jesus says that his life wasn't taken from him. It's not like that, that you know, Jesus is trying to jockey for position and make himself look better. You know, there's sometimes where stuff happens to people, and when it happens, then they try to take advantage of the situation and go, well, I don't really have a choice, but I might as well make this look good. You know? It's not like they were coming, they're going to take Jesus, he can't do anything about it, and then he thinks through it and goes, 
well, they're going to take me and kill me. I might as well make this look like I'm a martyr. I might as well make this look good. You know, okay, you're, you're, you're taking my life, so hey, look, I'm going to die for all of you guys because I can't stop it anyway. Make it look good. No. The Bible, in fact, says that he was the lamb that was slain before the foundation of the world. He surrendered the power that he had to prevent his death. He willingly sacrificed his position. He willingly submitted to pain, all done with intent and purpose. And this happened even while we were unwilling to embrace his sacrifice. Romans chapter 7 verses or Romans chapter 5 verses 7 and 8 tell us this. For one will scarcely die for a righteous person, though perhaps for a good person one would dare even to die. But God shows his love for us in that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. Think about it. Now, I want you to think through your friend list. I, I see people sometimes. Uh, I'm, I'm not one to, I don't participate in these, these survey things and all this stuff on Facebook, you know, because quite honestly, I never know what some of that stuff's going to say, you know, and it could say something just off the wall and it's done posted it out there and then it's there. I mean, right now, if we're seeing anything in politics, it's when it goes out on social media, it's there. Somebody's got it. Somebody saw it. You know, so, so maybe I'm not as brave as other people are that do all these surveys, you know, about what your name means and what, your, what, what movie star you ought to be and all that stuff. I'm, I'm not brave enough, you know. I, I'd, I'd like if it came back and said I was Braveheart, but I'm not brave enough for it to tell me that I'm Braveheart. So, you know, that'd be William Wallace. Yeah, took somebody to finally catch it, you know. William Wallace. Think about your friends. If you got Facebook, whatever it is that you got. You got your phone? Everybody got your phone? Take your phone out. Sean's one of the few people I know that, that abandon social media stuff a lot. So, so all the rest of you, take your phone out. You know, I know you got a Facebook app. All right, so open your Facebook app. Hey, this is interactive service. You know. And if, and if you are blessed enough to be going, I don't have Facebook, God bless you. Because you are probably far better off than all the rest of us. <laughs> so if you got your phone, you got your Facebook app, all right, so, so look, or whatever app you got that's got your friends on it. So click over on your friends. How many, how many do you have? Who's got, let's see who's got the most. We're, all right, we're just adding this in. How many you got, Wendy? Nine fifty-four, man, she's smoking me. That's bad. How many you got? Bird still. Wendy's going to have to check for him. <laughs> you better get off some of them sites. I'm just saying you. No, I'm just kidding. <laughs> okay, all right. <laughs> How many you got? Fourteen hundred fifty-one. My goodness. How many's Angie got? I don't know. I can't find it. Her, her list is so big she can't even find it. I can't believe these teenagers don't have. How many y'all got? You only got six? Six oh six? Six eighteen? Man, I think you got everybody smoked, Chris. I think you do, man. She got eighteen hundred. Angie's got two. Two? Me and you? <laughs> 
980, man, y'all. So look, so if you looked at your, at your friend list there, I got some pastor friends on there. I don't add everybody. I'll just be honest. You know, I get some requests from some people, and it'll come through, and, and it's because it's somebody else accepting them, and I'm going, dude, that is a girl in Russia. You don't need to accept that. Just say no. So, you know, so just say no. Yeah, or else it's not a girl, but it's a picture. Yeah, buddy. So look, you look at your friend list. So I'm gonna tell you, I'm gonna tell you who's uh, who shows at the top of my friend list. Now I don't know that it puts them in any order, but I'll tell you who, uh, for whatever reason, is showing up on mine. Um, right now, it's Gene Wells. Gene shows up there. Mark Ingram, that's a, a pastor friend. Dwayne Harbison, that's a pastor friend. Ruth, Ruthie shows up on there. My wife. And the lady that's over the walking division of the running club that we're in. That's the six that show up, because that's all it shows on mine is six at the top until you so see all friends. Now, you think about your friend list that you're looking at right there. How many of them you ready to die for? <laughs> I just named off a couple of people in church. I'm not going to look at that side because Ruthie's <laughs> here on my friend list. You know. Gene's somewhere in, I think they're in, uh, they were in France yesterday because they sent us pictures of the Eiffel Tower. So, how many of them you willing to die for? I mean, yeah, not 1,400. I got 775. I'm not willing to die for 775 people. Let's just be honest. Now, so would you really consider those people to be your close friends? No. How many of them do you actually truly know? How many do you think you truly know? There's a handful probably, right? I mean, there's probably, there's probably, you know, it's like ripples in a pond going in reverse. You got this many friends on Facebook. You probably know something, you know, more than just some surface stuff about this many of them. And you really maybe know this many of them. And how many of them are you willing to die for? That's, that's, that's what was there. So here's the question, though. A lot of people say, wait a minute. Jesus said, this is my commandment. So he commanded us to love people. Can you really command people to love somebody? Now, in our minds, we think, wait a minute. Now, you can't make me. You can't make me love you, Bonnie Raitt. We, we think that kind of stuff. Don't we? You can't tell me I got to love somebody. And Jesus can because he did. And he's God. So I guess that makes it all right. <laughs> he said, this is my commandment, that you love one another as I have loved you. I, I was reading in a commentary, and this is what Warren Wiersbe said. He said, you must keep in mind that Christian love is not basically a feeling. Now let's go ahead and take another song. Because I, I, you always hear me say, I think that popular music over the years has said a lot about what people believe about things. Hooked on a feeling. What's love got to do? Got to do with it. What's love? What a second-hand emotion. What's love got to do? Got to, who needs a heart when a heart can be broken? Sean's, Sean's going to come up here and sing with me. I can feel it. <laughs> 
See, popular music has carried this idea out. It's, it's, it's kind of, you know, hey, what's love got to do with anything? You know, we, we, don't, we don't need any of that. Who needs a heart when a heart can be broken, all this stuff? It's all about feeling. If it makes you happy, can't even sing all of this one. <laughs> it can't be that bad. If it makes you happy, then why? Whoop, is it so bad? <laughs> whoop. See, I mean, that's what everything is about what you feel. But Christian love is not a feeling. Christian love is an act of the will. The proof of our love is not in our feelings, but it is in our actions, even to the extent of laying down our lives for Christ and for one another. It's not about, it's not about feeling like. Look, there are times where... When you're faced with a situation, I know for me personally, there are times where when I'm faced with certain things, I don't feel like I want to do what God's told me to do. Because it feels like it would be easier. It feels like it would be more gratifying to do something differently. And at times it would be. In the temporary, it would be more gratifying. When God tells me I've got to love somebody and... and and I've got to demonstrate his love, and they are an absolute jerk. I mean, let's not pretend like this is not what happens. They're an absolute jerk. And I'm having to sit there and go, oh, this would be so much easier to not show love toward this person. This would be so much easier for me to not deny myself and to act out of God's love, to love them, to love people... You go, wait a minute, I thought you was talking about those closest people. You ain't never had no friend act like a jerk. Come on. Come on, man. I know you've had. You've been that way to your spouse at some point. You have acted the fool. Not the fool. The fool. You have acted the fool. And she had to make a choice. He had to make a choice. Your kids had to make a choice. Am I going to love? Because at the moment, I feel like throwing a toaster at you. But I'm not going to. Why? Because I, I'm going to love. Because it, it's okay. We're going to work our way through it. So love really can be commanded because it's not about feelings. I, I you know, I, I, I shared with Ashley and Brett. I, I do with everybody that we ever do uh, premarital counseling stuff with. I always tell people, say, hey, there are going to be times where you're going to wake up at morning and you don't feel like loving that person. <laughs> don't everybody, I need to look down when I say this because people are going, yes, Jesus. Today, um, look, there, there's moments where you're going to wake up and you, there's moments where your kids do something. And, and, and I'm not saying you don't love your kids, but at that moment, you're not... There's times where your kids, you know, my kids, they probably look and they're not feeling like loving us at that moment. But love's a choice. You make a choice to love. It's not just about feeling a certain way. We know that because we, we often, we get up and we know that if we don't go to work, we're not going to get paid. So we don't feel like going to work, but we go to work anyway. And we feel like telling our boss what we think about him, but we realize if I do that, I'm going to get fired. So what do you do? You control your feeling and you do what's right. What's love got to do with it? Love better be a decision and not just a feeling. 
Because there's too many people that when they stop feeling a certain way, they start hunting that feeling, and they'll hunt it somewhere else. Hunt it in another job. They'll hunt it in another person. They'll hunt it with a new purchase. They'll hunt it with a new house. They'll hunt it with going in debt, whatever it is. He says, look, I want you to love each other as I have loved you. 1 John chapter 3, verse 16. It's not John 3, 16. It's 1 John 3, 16. He says, by this we know love. That he, being Jesus, laid down his life for us, and we ought to lay down our lives for the brothers. Man, I'm telling you, I, I, I could have layered scripture after scripture after scripture after scripture that I kept looking and seeing how many times that, that throughout the New Testament that he ended up saying, you need to be willing to put your life on the line for each other. Now think about this. Think about this. Whether or not is that really the example of Christ? Is that what Christ did? I mean, it's not a hard, it's not a trick question. Did Christ lay his life on the line for the brothers? Yes, in fact, he laid his life on the line. We just saw in previous scripture that even while we were yet in sin, that he died for us. So he says, this is my commandment that you love one another as I have loved you. We really could take that even to an extreme. We could really put that into the broadest application and say, what Jesus really said was, you need to be willing to lay your life on the line for your brother and sister in Christ, even when they are not acting like they care about you doing that or not. Why? Because they deserve it? Because they earned it? Because no, he said, do it because that I have told you to do it. And because it's the example that I set for you, because guess what? This is what he reminds us of. If we stop and think, he says, at one point, I laid down my life for you, and you didn't care a thing about me. You didn't care about that I was, that I was doing this for you. You didn't want my gift. You didn't want me to put myself on the line. But I did so because you needed me. One of my, one of my more favorite legal movies, by the way, is a few good men. And remember, it just popped in my head right then. I started thinking, but remember what, what he said? You need me on that wall. You want me on that wall. Guys, those of y'all haven't seen the movie. The guy at Sierra, we got people seeing the movie. I mean, he's, he, he's saying, you, you need people to protect you. You need people while you lay at home wrapped in the blanket that I have provided you and the comfort and all this that he goes through. He was excusing some bad behavior that he had done, but he said, but you need people like me up on that wall. Now, in reality, there are times where that there are friends of ours, there are even fellow believers that need us to get on the wall. They need us to stand up. They need us to put ourselves on the line. Why? Because even in the moment that they don't understand it, even in the moment where they don't see it, they need someone to do what Christ said and to love them the way that Christ loved us, which was sacrificially. It was willingly. It was, I'm willing to give up anything to protect my brother and my sister in Christ. As I look around our world today, it, it really seems like that every person is, is out for themselves. Our politics right now, they're all about promoting the person. It's about promoting personalities. It's, it's promoting concepts and larger-than-life personas. 
riots and looting has gripped our inner cities. You know, when people decide they don't have what they want or they think somebody else does have what they want, then, man, we'll get mad and we'll go... Literally, I posted something earlier this week, and I said, it's crazy. It's like we say, you know what? I, I don't like that, that this is happening in my community, so I'm going to burn my own community down around myself. I don't like that that store has stuff that I can't afford, so I'm going to go loot it and then burn it and then go, why aren't you open today? <laughs> right? But it's a mentality. It, it, it's, it's not any of the surface things that we want to see. It's the effect of sin, and it's also the effect or the lack of effect of the church. Because in the middle of all of this, people are still in desperate need of Christ. We say, oh, people need to get a job. Somebody needs to do this. They need to do that. Now, what ultimately people need more than anything else is they need Jesus. Because we try to change things. It's kind of like somebody, you know, we're coming up on flu season and all that. It'd be like you having the flu and us going, you know what, I'm really getting tired of you coughing. Take this cough syrup. And so you stop coughing and die a week later. We go, I don't know what happened. He was coughing and I gave him cough syrup. He stopped coughing and then he just killed over. Well, yeah, because you weren't treating the real problem. You were looking at symptoms and being irritated by the symptoms and not addressing the root cause. The ultimate thing that our world needs. Look, the reason that we have, we have some terrible options in politicians right now, you know, ungodly type, is because the church hasn't done what it's supposed to do. There's some, what, 50-some-odd million or whatever professing. I mean, we could ensure that very qualified, very godly type people were available for office, but, but we don't. The, the, I see people looking at the government and saying, well, the government needs to do more about the poor. The government needs to do more about helping train people. Man, it's the church's role. It's always been the role of the church. Pure religion undefiled is this. What? That you take care of the widows, that you take care of the orphans. And there shouldn't be a government program to take care of orphans and and widows, it was supposed to be the mandate of the church, the body of Christ. What about, what about the, the young ladies that are over here in these projects that, man, they're out prostituting themselves, they're doing bad stuff, they're doing all this. What, did, what, did, uh, what, what, what was Paul telling Timothy and, and what got written to them? He says, hey, you need to have the older women teaching the younger women. If there's young women over here in these projects that don't know, it's because their families haven't taught them and the church hasn't stepped in and said, let us come alongside you in the middle of your problems and help you know that there's a better way. Help you know that there's hope. Help you know that there's an answer. Well, I went over there one time and I tried to help people. Great. You like spent 20 minutes doing something that's been 100 years in the making fantastic <laughs> you know awesome is it like walmart do we need to give you a smiley sticker you know the little thing go oh thanks for you know it's like giving blood you know i served in the hood today i mean really come on is that what we're wanting i mean just being honest you know look and it's not gonna happen in bulk i think that's one of the things i'm learning we're not going to go out here and impact 200 people next week. We're going to find one or two people. 
You're going to find a connection that you have with somebody. Some of you guys, you do this already through your businesses and things like this where you're trying to invest in the people. You're investing in the people that you work with, and you're trying to share, and you're trying to teach. And so when they bring up something, you have a discussion with them, and, and you go, you know, but let me, let me tell you a different view on that. And it's long term, and, but that is being willing to love people the way that Christ loved them. It's not all about, well, I need to lay down my life as in I need to actually physically go die. Sometimes it's about our willingness to allow other things in our lives to not be more important than what these people are. John 13 and 35 says this. He says, By this all people will know that you are my disciples if you have love for one another. I'm going to tell you about this week. Stuff, people getting robbed. You got people that can't pass drug screens to go to work. You got prostitutes down the road. You've got apartments where you can go and, and pay and, and do drugs. There's children who are left alone while their parents are out on the town doing their thing. There are also, though, there are wealthy people who are wrestling with depression. There's beautiful people who are struggling with eating disorders. There's popular people that are hiding secrets, and there are successful people who are failing at marriages and failing at parenting. And all of those people, all the way from the ones that we think, oh, we think, oh, that's bad, you know, they're drug addicts and all this. We don't, we don't seem to react nearly as badly to people that are, that are um, doing white-collar crime and because everything looks good, they got a house, they got all this stuff. But the common denominator with all these folks is that they all need Jesus. And this scripture just told us that for them to know that we are truly his representatives, that we are really the disciples of Christ, that they need to see our love. And, and not just that they need to see our professed love for the lost. But they also need to see our love lived out in complete surrender and in complete sacrifice for each other within the body of Christ. I mean, look, let's just be honest. There are a lot of folks that all the negative stuff that they hear about the church world, they hear it from church people. And it's not because they hear church people challenging the church to step up and become what it's supposed to be. They just hear about people talking about how bad that church down the road is, how bad them people over there are, how bad this is, how bad somebody over there was, how bad somebody did over here. And then folks go, man, I don't want to be around church. Listen to that. It's all bad. Jesus said, this is my commandment, that you would love one another as I have loved you. And if we do that, it lets people see. I want you to grasp this. If people see that within the community of faith that we truly are willing to literally lay down our lives for each other, you know what it tells them? If I become a part of that community of faith, then they'll do that for me. But why should I go join myself to something if the people who are already in it don't even seem like they love each other. But you're going to tell me that God loves me? 
You're going to tell me that God was willing to die for me and that you're being his hands and feet, but yet you're just backbiting and stabbing each other and not, not loving each other, not putting yourself on the line for each other. You won't go out of your way for fellow believers, and you want me to believe that that is what I need to join myself to? I need to receive this thing that you've been given? I can get that out here. But when people look within the community of faith and they see us being there for each other, loving one another like Christ said, as he did, willing to put ourselves in line, that nothing I have is to be more important. No possession that I have is to be more important than a single one of you. Not a thing that I own is to be more important than you are as a person to me. When people see that in us, then they will understand the love of Christ because he said, love each other like I loved you. So I want to ask you a personal version of this question. I'm going to ask you a personal ver version of the question that the little girl in the video asked. What, what did the little girl in the video ask? What did she ask? How long before I die? So I want to ask you this. Jesus commanded us to love each other the way that he loved us and said, greater love has no man than this and that he laid down his life for his friends. So this is the question that I want to ask you individually, directly today. How long until you die? 